Welcome to the Body Track Academy podcast created by EPs for EPs. The podcast will take you on an in-depth understanding of everything an EP is faced with on a day-to-day basis, including clinical, personal and business practices to ensure you become the best practitioner possible. If you enjoy the podcast, make sure you like, share, follow us on whatever streaming service you use to ensure the message spreads and you are notified of any new podcasts or educational resources available to you. Furthermore, if you're not already part of our online academy, head over to Facebook and join the Body Track Academy. Happy listening. Good day, associates. Welcome to another podcast that we're going to do. Title is Painful Yarns, and I have Josh in here. Josh is one of our EPs at Sherwood. Uh, how long have you been with us, Josh? Uh, January was my two-year mark. Right, and I've just found out as well recently that he's a Man City fan, so we're on the back of Man City doing a 3 P. Is that correct? Uh, treble. Oh, treble, sorry. How dare I? Three pin implies it was three years in a row, which we also <laughs> yeah, But then we won a three. Uh, the big three club uh, club trophies. So, well, yeah. con- congratulations. I uh, hope we haven't lost any listeners after that um, first 30 seconds because we found out he's a City fan. But he also has some great insightful knowledge around chronic pain and some clients that he's had. So... That's the main reason of this to get out of the podcast today is some practical tips, maybe some theories, things that we kind of run by. It doesn't mean they're always correct. Um, there's heaps of resources out there about this, but um, some enlightening uh, research and different ways of thinking about managing clients with chronic pain uh, is what we're going to discuss today um, and discussing around this model that we we are using as well um a bit of a shout out to the knowledge exchange for this as well um lots of great professional development resources um particularly around chronic pain um and other (coughs) other areas as well so uh we'll reference them in our show notes as well but first and foremost josh i thought i'd throw the uh, open question to you when you have a client that kind of presents with chronic pain it could be initial it could be someone who's had a flare-up of their condition um what's the kind of first steps you take around around that what are, how are they sort of presenting what language are they using um any kind of specific examples you have for some clients there yeah i mean it's obviously going to be very varied depending on the person depending on what their previous experiences are both with yourself and otherwise um yeah we're you'll always sort of be aware of the wording that's used if they're sort of a long-term client or someone that's sort of quite familiar with the practices within our clinic because um, their conversations are a lot more open. They're a lot more um, less loaded almost. There's not there's not that um, angst or aggravation nine times out of ten. It's, a, oh, this is what I was feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt it since X. Um, you know, it's lasted for so many so many days and I get it when I do these are my aggravators, these are my relievers, those mm. sorts of things. So then they, they understand the general consensus because it's something that we always reflect back on mm-hmm. best practice, which is to distinguish how we're going to, A, relieve their pain yeah. and then obviously work towards achieving them being pain-free throughout any movement. So um, that's that's for someone, I guess, who is a more of a regular client though. Yep. So yeah. did you get did it take some time to get to that level where your clients are a lot more open with you? Yeah. Um, yeah. Kind of, how, and how did you get there as well with that? I guess trust. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's trust, isn't it? Really, in the end, they it's um they they've got to believe that them voicing it is going to be validated. Number one, 
um, which is something that I didn't realize early on because you get so ingrained into, I've just got to fix, I've got to fix, I've got to fix, rather than just taking a moment just to go, you know what, that's awful. Mm. That can't, that isn't great. Like, yeah. you know, I'm sorry that, that that's happened. You know, you should feel that way. Yeah. Um, but then making sure that they feel that that's a space where they can come and share too. Yeah. So that's number one, I think. And that builds that trust in them where they go, oh, you know, last time something happened, uh, you know, um, I came to Josh and I talked to him about it and, you know, he really took that on board and he mm. didn't just go dismiss it and go, oh, don't worry about it. Like, yeah. we're going to focus on what we need to do today because I've written up this brilliant program. For sure. And I think that taps into um, how you make someone feel uh, from your presence and your ability to to really listen to your clients. And that's a really good kind of take-home tip as well. Sounds simple, but you got to also reflect and think about this person that you're seeing not necessarily all the time, but have they seen other um, uh, specialists for their condition and they've just been told, oh, it's this, you have to do X yeah. rather than actually being listened to. So it's not a hard thing to do, but it is a very important thing to do is to validate and listen. Mm. Um, I cut you off probably a little bit there. No, that's okay. continue no. on. <laughs> um, and then, what, I mean, once you've done that, then it comes down to your more like clinical skills, understanding sort of what might be going on, mm. um, but not just from a, a physical level, like mm. the mechanism of injury or the, is there inflammation? Do we need to sort of um, go through just a general like mobilizing to, to get them experiencing movement that isn't restricted by pain? Yeah. Or is it, you know, is there other factors? Is there lots of stress at home? Is it work stress? You know, um, is there something in their current environment at the moment they, they they just aren't able to clear that is impacting all those other inflammatory markers that we know sort of can exacerbate pain? Yeah, and I think that's uh, where we're going to delve into a bit further in this podcast is talking about the biopsychosocial model and approach to it um, and just some different ways to think about how to implement it in um, in your practice. So, uh, Josh, what you've just done there is a perfect example of it's not always the mechanical or biological, biomedical issue at, ha- at hand. Far too often I feel um, the psychological component or even the social component doesn't have a shining light in your conversation um, with with. Uh, with clients, we're so fixated and probably from what we learned, at least I did many years ago at uni, um, they've got a problem. This is the best way to do it. Um, and you can see now in media how the misinformation is presented. If you have this pain, this is the best exercise for it. It's not always going to be the case. So could work for some, maybe majority, but there's no reference to what is their psychological state, what's their stress like, Um why is that pain being influenced? And we know now really well from pain science, like that's uh, we, we've spoken about on this podcast before, that, yeah, it, it can't just be uh, a physical manifestation, uh, a physical thing. It, it can be manifested from um, different psychological and social environments as to why that pain is being experienced uh, and it's different for everyone. The clinical presentation is going to be different uh, I think our listeners know that very well, but good to good to reiterate. The other thing I just wanted to reflect back on with your case there, um, you mentioned uh, language. We, again, probably take it for granted, but if you really change your mindset and listening to your client, listen to the words that they're using. Um, 
very carefully. Are they saying pain? Are they saying can't? Are they saying those kind of things? That gives you a very, very good insight to what um, a client's fear is about their their uh, condition or how it's going to impact them, which is going to affect throughout that that model. Um, uh, we'll put in the show notes again, but language and how we can use it, not only with chronic pain, but I find it with a lot of clients, is the Veric analogy. So validation, as you explained, and exploration, reflection, information and calibration. Now, we've t- covered it in another podcast that you can go back and listen to, but find it really, really effective um to have a to help basically improve a client's outcome uh, and build that trust of them because you're doing so many other steps before you even provide your information skill um yeah so there's a couple of tangents there but we'll get back on track (laughs) um so you've kind of covered i guess josh for someone who's a regular client Mm -hmm. um they've got that trust already established is there anything you do differently to an initial assessment who's come in and has seen many different other practitioners, perhaps health professionals, specialists, and they're suffering from some form of chronic pain. Does your approach change to them? How do you go around developing trust in that scenario? Um, yeah, I think, I mean, like, as you mentioned with your, your Veric analogy, I think that is really useful. I think you just depending on the on the presentation of someone you'll lean on different parts of that a little bit more mm-hmm. so for an initial uh initial assessment um definitely still going to obviously validate how they're feeling get a really good understanding of where they are make sure that um we've got a full picture of what's going on um but also be happy not asking a million and one questions all the time you know mm-hmm. you've the the practice that we build up is that you you know you gain as much knowledge as you can in that first interaction but then you leave space for them to actually talk to you and not just and not just continuously bombard them with questions Mm. the whole time um and then from there it's obviously uh an, an exploration of well you know what are they able to do what information can i provide to them mm. that's going to be beneficial what movement strategies can um are stopping them from being able to achieve what they need to do is there movement strategies that we can facilitate that will give them pain-free movement in the in the planes that they need to work in it and that's when it becomes a little bit more of a um i guess a, a realistic conversation with them which is this is what we know about what what where you're at. This is what we're going to attempt to do because if we can find room for you to explore these movements without pain, then we go back into that whole cycle of well, we're actually creating you know new pathways or let um mm. or sort of um I guess short circuiting that painful loop. Yeah, correct. And, and that's sort of getting them to do that at first rather than sort of. Me personally, particularly someone that's in, in in sort of persistent pain, is rather than going, okay, well, we're going to do this this subjective test, and we're going to do this one, mm-hmm. this one, this one. Mm-hmm. It's okay. Well, what can we do? Let's let's move push into that a little bit more, and then can we find ways to work through those really sort of um, aggravating or, or guarding positions? Yeah, fantastic. I think that's a good point you raise around. Um, again, I kind of go back to some misinformation. Some of it's going to be good, but the the, the right special tests to do. Um, we know that there's a bit of a, uh, a cloud over, I guess, how good and effective um, special tests are uh, for a particular musculoskeletal condition. 
same with subjective like analysis of it as well like the questionnaires you might be putting forward can assist but they're not the be all and end all as we know they're using all your tools and your toolbox to then get the patient outcome but from what you've just said is um yeah not having that big reliance on that i guess and actually kind of making it pretty simple finding out what their moving capability is what's the restricting um issue on a uh, could be physical, could be mental, could be social, whatever it might be, um, and then picking a part of that to then enhance that movement. Mm-hmm. Um, this is where that model kind of comes in. So you can think about it as the predictive processing model. So in that scenario when someone's coming and saying, oh, I'm really painful in, in this area in my lock back, I can't, I can't do this or I can't do that. If you think about it in this way, that's a um, perspective that that client has taken on board. Um, the language around that is uh, basically matching up with their sensory input most of the time, creating a match to then strengthen that that model. And what you were saying before is if that keeps happening, it becomes a detrimental cycle. Mm. That model is strengthened so that movement can be restricted from or all that that movement or that belief or the emotion around that um, that pain that they're experiencing is strengthened because of this kind of perspective that they have or that negative input that they can they can have. We won't go too far into it, but you chuck in all misinformation, um, the negative affectivity that they're going to have on their body from that, and it just heightens it mm-hmm. a ton. The other part that you explained from that is and really where I find our job is short-circuiting that in a way. Mm. So we are trying to change that internal model of them saying, no, in coming in saying, I can't do that because my back is sore, to then trying to put them through a movement pattern that they're probably not used or fearful of initially, then heightening the fact that, hey, you just did that, that didn't produce the pain that you experienced. That, in our perspective, is going that model is unupdated. Mm. They're finding that new capacity and that new range to perform movement in safely. Um, any specific examples that you can provide in your practice, Josh, that you've had with with clients here, here at Sherwood? Yeah, of course. I mean, just following on from what you said before, I forget. But um, I think I, I truly believe that anyone that comes in and engages our services, they they want to move. Yeah, they, they, yeah you, for sure. You're not pulling people off the street that, you know, have all these sort of um, concurrent pains or, or injuries and going, oh, whether you like it or not, we're going to move today. Like people <laughs> sure. come and they book in and they come to see you because they think that you should help. Yeah. And that I think sometimes we forget because mm-hmm. we're so caught up in making sure that we do the best of our abilities that we forget sometimes that people just want to know that they can move a little bit. Yeah. And that's when, like you said, that change in that perception, that sort of that mismatching or that short circuiting of, okay, well, I know that when I bend my knee or when I go upstairs um, or go downstairs, my knee hurts. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, does that mean that every time you flex your knee or load your knee that, that it hurts? Yes. No. Okay. Well, let's find a way to go around that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's sort of, um, it's an interesting um, it, it's an interesting cycle that pe- people get themselves in and they just need that sort of reminding sometimes of, like, we can move, this mm. is how we go. So um, what are you saying? Just to get to that, oh, your example next, but just to get to that, that takes 
for people listening, takes trust, rapport to get to that stage. For you to almost, again, it sounds pretty simple, but provide that positive reassurance. The amount that your client takes away from that going, oh, okay, they've really reassured me here. If you didn't have that um, continuity as well, I guess, with with the client um, contact points that they're they're coming to see you, um, you didn't have that trust, rapport, um, and that relationship, who knows? Maybe, in my view anyway, I think it would be vastly different, the outcomes. Yeah. Your examples. So. Yeah. So, so, um, I mean, I think like uh, it's such a common one is your sort of persistent lower back pain. And, and and where it comes from is obviously so varied. Like um, we know that it's, uh, it's very, very prevalent across populations. This one in particular was from sort of um, structural trauma years previous mm. um, and obviously had just cemented fearful patterns to any sort of uh, multi-axle flexion extension within mm-hmm. those periods, mm-hmm. but then had um, congruently also changed the way that they then go through patterns um, above and below that, which would sort of just buy into that same cycle of I'm going to remain as stiff as a board, I'm going to sort of keep everything locked and tight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we found was was occurring was um, less sort of like like structural trauma from from what what was perceived for by him to be structural trauma and more just the muscles just going I just I can't keep this position all the time you mm-hmm. know I'm being asked mm-hmm. to sort of lock in and hold and, and tense and do anything when I'm doing any sort of movement patterns and it was just a case of finding the right position where he felt comfortable enough to relax to move to mobilize a little bit more mm-hmm. and then sort of giving him very sort of functional functional movements with constraints in there that would allow him to um go through a, a full depth squat without sort of feeling like he was um gonna go through sort of lower back spasms or being able to sort of um flex and bend over and reach and touch his toes without feeling like on the way up he was gonna sort of seize up again and be on the floor yeah um and that and that was that was a tough one because of the external um stresses that were in there so in the clinic we'd be able to go through and and facilitate really good movement and feel really good no pain anything like that but then um, because of the environment he was trying to do it in, he was um, uh, working externally, so flying in, flying out, um, yeah. work, and really struggling to sort of facilitate that um, that movement because he was constantly in that sort of uh, uncomfortable or, or like higher stressed environment, mm. and didn't have that constant sort of feedback to you know be able to monitor where what he yeah. was doing. How much do you place? Um- education around this on successful outcomes so for that example um you're finding positions that they can move in freely and actually again like we refer to that model as creating that mismatch updating that model to believe it's not always going to uh, elicit pain how much do you focus on actually educating or highlight highlighting that win in a way um yeah and is that a big part of your Continuity care. I think, and I think, and I say this a lot, particularly if it's very like uh, or perceptually very musculoskeletal based. Mm. I always sort of go through the fact that you know we are we are building capacity. We're not removing pain; we're building capacity. So we build capacity within pain ranges that we 
and we agree with the with the patient and ourselves are um, manageable mm. and do not impact every other aspect of their life mm. more than yeah. we already would. Yeah. So um, I think that's really important because if we if we tell them, "Oh, your goal is to move pain free," then pain still becomes the the number one focus, the epicenter. Yeah. Whereas sure. if we if we go well, the capacity to achieve X, Y, and Z within the ranges yeah. that we set, yeah. all of a sudden they go, oh well, okay, a little, a little tweak, that's okay, yeah. a little this, a little that, but I'm building towards, I'm doing more than I did two weeks ago at the same. As that's same. in mindset shift, eh? Yeah, and yeah. that's when you like you said that that confirmation of those mismatches or yeah. that sort of. Um, applauding those those positive changes mm. needs to be really yeah. um, reinforced. On the flip side, have you had a situation go wrong and you had to problem solve and decision make? Really important because mm. I think what I notice a lot is particularly in students coming through for us, uh, they're very fearful to put someone who is coming in with pain through an exercise that may increase pain. Mm. Um but what is a tolerable level of pain? Like there's, there's, yeah, a couple of different ways to dissect it. But I guess in in your scenario with uh, other examples you might have um, in your practice, has it been something that you tried, hasn't worked for this person, uh, and how have you adapted? Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, one particular in mind, which was, again, uh, uh, pain stemming from other aspects of their life, so social aspects mm-hmm. that um, really were just hindering them from making any progression. And as a practitioner that wants to help people or as any any allied health wants to help people, the, the goal being is you want people to do more for like with less toll on their body. Yeah. And that was really tough to sort of take a step back and go, well, you know, they're, they're going to be in pain mm-hmm. until we – and this is not like a couple of days thing. This mm. is months, mm. years that we're going to have to sort of work through this. And and looking that far ahead and having that conversation with them, we're just like, we need to try and tick off X, Y, and Z in the next three, four weeks. So you're almost setting little goals, aren't you? Little yeah. milestones that they then, yeah. And those milestones, it's it's very, we could go on about this for ages, but I find, like I highlighted before, a small wing could be bending over to touch the toes. Yeah. Um, that can be really, really rewarding for someone mm. who um, doesn't have the greatest uh, uh, attraction to AS exercise mm. and they might just want to increase their capacity, like we said. Yeah. But then you flip that around, that conversation you have with that person can be really rewarding for them, but flip that around to someone who is extremely active but is in pain. Yeah. And you go, hey, but now you can touch your toes. And they're like, man, I used to deadlift 150. <laughs> yeah. So the, the way you navigate that, probably a whole other podcast, but... um. I, it's still important. It's still vital because you, like you said, and I, I think this is the biggest take home here is your increasing capacity mm-hmm. within, as you said, small milestones and goals and X, Y, and Z rather than removing pain altogether. Yeah. And it's a think, good shift in that mindset. Yeah. And, and also, you, like, and again, it's probably something to talk about in more depth further, but you're, you're creating a space where, yes, they're achieving goals, mm-hmm. but that they feel comfortable coming when they haven't reached where they think they should. They feel comfortable coming and being disappointed, mm. talking to you and going, mm. I'm really frustrated. Yeah. I'm really this. I'm really that. I used to do this. Now I can only do this. Yeah. And our job is not to go, oh, but look on the bright side. You know, it's it's to sometimes go, yeah, yeah. okay. But together 
this is this is how we're going to work back to it. Yeah. Sounds like you'd thrive in that moment, Josh. Sounds like you love it. <laughs> um, uh, I've, the, the part that I'm drawing from that as another good take-home is if you're not setting that foundation, that initial or even in the first two sessions and drip feeding on the fact that this isn't a this isn't a fix. This is a long time journey, and about improving capacity. Then you're going to run into problems. It's, it's inevitable. Like how many times have we had um, or heard stories of uh, first session being done? I mean, this is happened in my career, early career. I've obviously evolved. I hope, but call up. Uh, you know, Dan client was in more pain after their session mm-hmm. with you. Like, well, of course they were. They haven't moved. <laughs> you know, they've come to see me after six months of being immobile pretty much. Yeah. Um, any bit of movement is probably going to cause a bit of discomfort and they're not what, they don't know what to expect from that. Downfall on my behalf back then, I didn't explain it well yeah. enough. Yeah, and no, I think that's actually where it comes from, education around, hey, today we are going to probably push your boundaries a touch. Mm. We don't want to exacerbate, but... We need we, to know. We need to know where your capacities are yeah. um, to be able to get to those milestones, like you said. Um, if you're not saying that in the first first session, second session, and continually reassuring them of that, like that's just a, such a simple thing to add in again, um, but it's such a huge effect because they then understand and realizing, oh, that makes sense, you know, low capacity tolerance, all those conversations that you can have quite easily with them. Yeah. Um well, I think we might uh, start to wrap it up from there, but I think man, we've kind of gone done takeaways as we've gone. I think the only thing I wanted to explain is just another example that I've had um, around how this model can work. And the, the way I've used this, the, the predictive processing model is actually just showing them mm. a clear diagram and getting their feedback on it. Yeah. Uh, and it's actually been really effective. The gentleman I'm thinking of was... Um, very, very fearful and avoidant of knee flexion. <laughs> like it's almost scary. It is scary. <laughs> it's scary. It's almost to the point of um like almost still walking into the clinic. <laughs> it was a little bit okay, interesting. Um very quick side end. I saw I can't remember who it was, but it was an Instagram thing of imagine if knees over toes were so fear avoidant and a taboo that you can never do it. Imagine how sports would look and they have people running like around as soccer players. And straight legs. And straight legs. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no, that's, that's spot on. It's yeah. like, this is okay to move that way. Why are we not? Anyway, another podcast as well. Um, but anyway, this gentleman, he was very, very fearful of and then to the point of saying the typical languages that we hear, no, my knee is way too painful. I won't be doing step ups. No, my knee is way too painful. I can't do um, any kind of squatting. Mm. I can't do leg press. I can't do, you know, he these stands up out of his chair. <laughs> How did he get here? He stood up. He walked here. How does he? What's his home like? He's got stairs. He walks up them. So the first part I spoke about was the load, the tolerance, the capacity. You know, have you exceeded that? And most of the time, that was the case. He would be barely sedentary in the week, and then do a six-hour gardening back-to-back days, both days on the weekend. Yeah, there's a lot of bending, flexing your knees. You're probably going to experience some pain from that. Mm. But immediately he would attribute it to us, oh, the exercises. <laughs> yeah. Straight away. And I'm like, well, hang on a sec. Let's take it back for a second. And this is where, as practitioners, you can't put it all on yourself. It's a very hard thing to do because you do feel like there's an onus to make these people better. 
sake of a better word, but better. Mm-hmm. That they're returning and going on my knees were worse this week. Mm-hmm. And they're sort of a attrib- well, not even attributing to you, but they, they come back and they say, oh, man, he's felt a little bit worse this week. The, the little little voice inside your head goes, oh, damn, what did I do last week that made that worse? Yeah. But then you look at this case that I have and I'm like, well, now I'm in a, like, I'm in a, a position where I've learned from this and went, well, hang on, did anything from the exercises that we do exacerbate it? Mm-hmm. Because we've been doing the block for X number of weeks now. Sure, if there's new stimulus, maybe that was some things that we had to tinker with. But in this case, I was like, no, I'm pretty sure we haven't done anything that's exacerbated this. And then he, he informed me about his gardening and up and downstairs. I'm like, well, I reckon at the moment you are exceeding well above your tolerance and we're not at that capacity yet and you have some flare-up. I explained it through this model as well where you've got a predictive process of if I do this amount, I'm going to get sore knees. And that's even before they've embarked on it. You go, oh, I'm going to pay for this. And sure enough, they do. Fast forward, I'm going down bit too much detail but fast forward i've explained this and we've started to hit those milestones if you you've talked about josh and improving that capacity shifted away from paying altogether and going okay well why don't we just do a little bit more here why don't we do a bit more here mm. he's taken a real big turn on this mm. and actually going okay and this model it's just seeing it in absolute practice the mismatch is there the model's been updated from my perspective and going, okay, he's doing these movements now and I s- informing and we're, we're celebrating. I go, did you experience any discomfort whilst doing that? Because this is what you said you couldn't do. Mm. And he's coming out and going, no, actually I feel stronger. It's like, okay, let's talk about it at home. Are you going up and down the stairs more? Oh, I still hold on going downstairs, but I'm going up like an absolute beauty. I'm walking up and I'm fine. Mm-hmm. You really hone in on that because that just helps to strengthen this updated model per se and it makes them less fear avoidant, able to increase their capacity um, a ton more. And the gentleman's now doing quite a lot of um, quite a lot on his leg press. He's really comfortable doing that. Um, we've had we hit a little bit of a hurdle where he said he hurt his knee a bit. Um, straight back into fear avoidant movements. So yeah. just had to re-educate, reassure, as you pointed out before. And we return to our usual block of programming and, and doing some high-level strength. So the outcomes from that, like I actually think from my perspective, it was in this case, education played the pivotal role. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the actual the exercises that I did. It was me explaining and taking a good time of the session to sit down and go, hey, what do you think of this? Mm-hmm. And actually collaborating. Yeah. And, and does your, would you find your education changing? If you're if you if you see those fear avoidant patterns coming in mm. due to an injury or something like that, mm-hmm. um, is that going to be dictated by the mechanism of injury or the mechanism of pain flare up? I think that it. I hate saying this, but it depends on the person. <laughs> in this um, case, in this in case, this case um, I just honestly think it comes back to reassurance yeah. of what and, and sticking back to. What I've found effective for that particular person. So in this case, this model that I explained to, to him has been super effective. Mm. Um, I've seen a big change in his mindset. Um, it, it was sedentary during the week. It's now walking three or four times and not having pain. Um, or it could be a slight niggle, as you've alluded to, but he understands it. He goes, oh, that's a niggle. I'm fine. Rather yeah. than that's a niggle, stop, yeah. guard, activities bad kind of scenario which is what he was in so i don't 
think my education for this case has actually changed all that much. It's been more, hey, remember, remember this? Mm-hmm. Remember how like, and I'm trying to just in, impact, um, just influence him with positivity. Yeah, I think that's it. massive because, yeah. like, as a as a young as a young practitioner coming out, the minute and we talked about it before, like, we don't people come in and in pain, and mm. all of a sudden you're going that little voice in your head going, "Oh gosh, yeah. what have I done? What mm. do I need to do now?" And the natural <laughs> thought is, "Oh, go change my whole program." Correct. Yeah. And that's and I think that shows, and that's probably one massive highlight for the whole day is is that education or that sort of drawing back to what we know and what we know around the mechanisms of pain mm. is not only so saved you from doing a whole new program, but um, has sort of helped him be able to handle pretty much most of those little needles and tweaks that might might come around. Yeah, and I'm big on the fact of well. I keep it pretty simple. You've done mm. this before and you've had no effect. Mm. Doesn't mean you can't do it again. We might have to tinker it, change it slightly for them to almost feel safe with their movement. Mm. But well and truly knowing most of the time, sorry, again in this case where it might be a niggle of the knee, not a blown out issue, mm. they probably could do the same program that I did yeah. and actually have no effect because they've done it for, for weeks on it. Um, different, obviously, if you're changing the scope of programming and changing it, like, as we've mentioned, but if they've done a block where you've done the same exercises and they've been comfortable and then they've ended up with a niggle, I don't think too much has to change. Mm-hmm. And that's a big point to take home because, yeah, it, it back in the day for me, whole change the whole thing. Whole, yeah. <laughs> Something, something's wrong, I've got to change the whole thing. Let's do it all lying down. Yeah. <laughs> There's yeah. no grip, nothing, just yeah. no impact on me. Let's right, let's lie down. But... Yeah, I, I, now I go, no, like this isn't on me. I, I don't, it's a 50-50, it's a collaboration. It's it's not, I'm not at fault, neither neither are they sometimes, but you can't just have 100% either way. It's a collaboration. Like you do a history of what they've done to actually have that flare up, have that cause, yeah. um, and then work it up from there. Like is it is it on me if, okay, we increase in intensity by 50% in one week. It probably is. But is it on you if you do the same program and then they go and do a ton of exercise outside more than the usual load? Yeah. They've got to take a bit of responsibility for that too. Yeah. That's that's how I see it. And and really important to take home there for yeah, new grads is don't always make it back on yourself. Mm. Um, but, yeah, collaborate with your colleagues um, to ensure that, your prescription and your programming is right and you're backing yourself with that. Yeah. But um, it's also client, client-based. I have to have a buy-in for that too. Mm-hmm. Mm. Absolutely. Um, yes, yeah, so I probably said we'll wrap it up about 10 minutes ago, but <laughs> but we will wrap it up now. Um, any key take-homes, Josh, that we can wrap up for those? We've kind of dabbled through it throughout the yeah. podcast, but anything that um, sticks out that you want to? Yeah, I, lo- I, lo- I love the, um, the, the collaboration. Okay, so you've got to obviously bring that um, that safe space, that uh, that trust building mechanisms, whether it's validation, whether it's uh, information, mm. whether it's safe practice, whatever it might be. You've got to bring that, but they've got to bring something to the table as well. You know, it's not just we're here to fix them; it's yeah. we're here to empower them to fix to assist themselves. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that's that's really, really, really important. Mm. I like the fact that you 
changes the mindset around take the pain out of the epicenter the, sorry take the um take pain out of the epicenter of the conversation and actually talk about capacity building mm-hmm. which is really really good um thing to think of and and that different shift um and then also alongside that is um you mentioned very already sorry the model <laughs> um uh, take a look at predictive processing do a bit of research on it because um i think that's we've only skim the surface of what it actually entails but may actually help to underpin a bit more uh, changes in your practice that you that you currently do thank you very much josh no problem thanks for having me thanks for listening we hope you enjoyed this podcast so remember to share like or follow to keep updated with all our podcasts and educational resources